It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different Hey everyone, it's your host Edward Ford and welcome to the Growth of Podcast, the show about all things B2B SaaS marketing. This podcast is brought to you by Advanced B2B, the growth marketing agency that helps B2B SaaS businesses generate sustainable revenue growth through marketing. So if you're looking for an agency partner who will help you get measurable results from your marketing, then check out advancedb2b.com for more info. Now, joining us today on the show is Stephanie Cox, VP of Sales and Marketing at Lumivate. And today we're talking about why marketing should lead sales, support, success, and product. Now, Stephanie has a very unique role as a SaaS marketing leader, since she also directly leads four other key departments. And in this episode, we hear why she ended up taking such a broad role, the benefits of having marketing lead sales, how her teams all work together, what her typical week looks like, and how her teams move at a super fast pace and just get shit done. So there's all this and a whole lot more on episode 68 of the Growth of Podcast with Stephanie Cox, VP of Sales and Marketing at Lumivate. Welcome to another episode of the Growth of Podcast, and it's my pleasure to welcome Stephanie Cox to the show, who is VP of Sales and Marketing at Lumivate. So Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us today here on the Growth of Podcast. Thanks for having me. Excited to chat with you. Yeah, likewise. And I think this is going to be an awesome chat because your role is quite different to many SaaS marketing leaders since you not only lead marketing, but also sales, customer success, customer support, and product. So to kick things off, why did you decide to bring all those roles together under one person's responsibility? Yeah, I wish I could take credit for the how it happened and say that it was super intentional, but it kind of wasn't at first. So when I started at Lumivate, I was brought in to lead marketing. So I was the VP of marketing about four years ago. And personality wise, and I've been this way for about 10 years, I like to solve problems. And I find, you know, ways in an organization, whether that's in my area of responsibility or not, where problems exist or challenges, and I find ways to make it better. So I tend to, you know, really immerse myself throughout the entire organization. And that's what I did at Lumivate early on. So I became really tight with, you know, our services team, our success team, our product team, and our sales team. And about 18 months into my time at Lumivate, our head of sales left. And I had been, you know, during that time on almost all major sales deals, you know, I worked hand in hand with our VP of sales. I was providing constant, you know, help and feedback, or my team was as well to our sales organization. And so when our head of sales left, our CEO came to me and he said, you know, what do you think about taking over sales? And at first I was like, is this like a serious question? Because I it was a little unexpected. It's very rare for you to see marketing leaders that take over sales. It's very normal for sales leaders to take over marketing, but I, I've really seen it rarely in the reverse. And you know, I thought about it for probably like 30 seconds and was like, okay, interested, tell me more, right? And we talked a little bit about it and he asked me to think about it that night. And in typical Stephanie fashion, I went home and talked to my husband about it, talked to a couple of good 
confidants about it and had like a five page plan the next day of how I would run the sales organization. Um, and that's really how I kind of took over sales. And from there, what started to happen is, you know, like I said, I see areas for improvement in organizations. And one of the challenges that we were having was the handoff between sales and services and support. And, you know, so what I did is I wasn't over that area. Those people did not report to me is I just started trying to heavily influence it, putting processes in place to make it better and really, you know, taking over managing the work until my philosophy is you do that until someone tells you to knock it off. And guess what? When you do great work, no one tells you to knock it off. Um, they actually usually appreciate it. And that's what happened. And then it, you know, it became, okay, so now you're going to take over, like officially take over success and support. And then, you know, from there, probably six months after that, um, you know, a similar thing was happening with product is I was, you know, starting to really help define the product roadmap more, which made sense. Because if you think about the role I had, I was the one talking to customers. My team was talking to customers from a marketing perspective, sales and services and support. So clearly I knew the most about what customers needed. And I started heavily influencing the roadmap. And then I started directing more of the roadmap. And then it just really started to make sense for me to own product management overall. And that kind of happened as well. So I didn't come in to eliminate four years ago with this plan of, I want to own, you know, these four buckets. I really just saw opportunity to continue to improve the organization that, you know, at first mark how marketing and sales work together and then how sales and services work together and really started to influence those areas until it became very clear that I was being highly successful doing that without a formal oversight. And having oversight over that team and having them report up to me made the most sense for the business. And so that's one of the things I always tell people who are looking to grow their career is if you want additional responsibility, no one's going to give it to you. You have to find ways to you know, take that responsibility. And the best way to do that is to find problems that your organization's having and recommend solutions and start implementing them in a lot of cases. Because if you if it works, no one's going to tell you to stop it. You know, I've been doing this for a long time. I think this philosophy I've been doing for over 10 years, and I've not been told a single time to knock it off because people want success, right? And if you can show that your idea works, great. Um, they like the benefit of that. Whereas if you take the other side, which is you just keep recommending ideas and you don't take the for, you know, the action to actually implement them, you know, a lot of people will not say yes. They won't say no, but they won't say yes, right? And you kind of live in this purgatory state of there's lots of solutions, but no one's really doing anything. And so I just say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start doing stuff until someone tells me to stop it. So yeah, fingers it. crossed, no one's told me that yet. <laughs> exactly. I love the philosophy and such good advice for but so simple as well. And I think it's great how it all came about and it was really a good point about how often sales leads marketing, but not so much the other way around. And following from here, we talk a lot about sales marketing alignment, but I guess you've come up with one pretty effective way to solve that issue. But can you tell us more specifically based on what you're doing at Lumavate, what are the benefits of marketing and sales being led by one person and having marketing lead sales? Yeah, I think, you know, the first thing I would tell you, you know, the easiest way to get sales and marketing alignment is to have it led by one person. Um, 
But I've also worked in situations at Lumivade too, where it's been led by two people and have been highly successful. I think the key thing is, is making sure that your goals as a marketing leader and the goals of a sales leader align. And that typically is 99% of the time where the mismatch occurs, right? Marketing care is oftentimes about leads um, in a lot of SaaS companies and sales cares more about pipeline and closed one new business. And so when you have these two very different metrics for success that a lot of times people are comped on, you're going to struggle to get alignment. And I think that is the biggest, you know, problem with sales and marketing, you know, not being aligned. So what I like to tell people is marketing and sales both should own revenue, right? They both should own a number. Obviously sales owns the big number, right? Um, But marketing should commit to a portion of that. And that should be revenue that marketing is sourcing and driving to sales. And if you're in a product-led growth company, that could be revenue that marketing is responsible for closing completely themselves, right? Through the product. But when you start having people responsible for the same types of metrics, they talk, number one, in the same language. And then two, they have the same goals. And And not just goals like on paper for the company, but goals individually, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, my success and your success becomes tied to the same thing. So in order for me to be successful, you need to be successful. And it really makes us more of a team. And I find that even when you're working as one big organization, marketing and sales together, if you don't have metrics that the whole team feels like they can point to and say, this is how I can impact this goal. This is how I can impact this one. You're going to have people that focus on different facets that are very specific to their role and not the bigger overall picture, right? So with my team, how I like to manage it, and I've done this for a long time, is I like to think about things like, I call them rocks. You can call them whatever you want, but I like calling them rocks versus goals. And the rocks are really, you know, what are the three to five things that we're really focused on this quarter? And when you lay those out, they have metrics tied to them, right? Um, Sometimes they're tied to a certain, you know, net revenue retention rate, or maybe it's tied to a certain number of net new logos. But what are these big rocks? Or, you know, a new big product feature that's launching. And then you need, you know, your entire team. So let's say I have four rocks for the quarter. Everyone on my team should be able to see how they can direct their work directly ties to three out of four of those rocks. Because if you accomplish that, what happens is everyone is on the same boat, rowing in the same direction at the same speed. And you get there faster. And you're more successful faster. And everyone feels like you're actually working together. What I find a lot of times, especially when you talk about like cascading goals, especially in large organizations, um, regardless of what type of system you use, OKRs, B2Mom, a lot of times what ends up happening is you get so siloed in your goals. Yes, they all technically roll up, but you've lost sight of the bigger picture of what you're trying to accomplish. And you're so focused on what you're doing, you're not focused on how what you're doing touches 30 other people in the organization and how you're all doing it together. And I think that's what's, what's different for me is I find 
when the whole team has the same rocks, we all get there at the same time and we get there a lot faster versus giving people individual goals and metrics that they need to hit necessarily. Now for your sales organization, that's a little different, right? Um, so like our sales organization is part of our rocks, but then they also have individual quotas for the year and individual, our sales team also happens to own renewals and upsells. They also have net revenue retention rates and upsell numbers they have to focus on, you know, so they do have those individual numbers, but like the whole team is accountable for the overall number for the quarter. So like we were just sitting on a team call earlier this week and talking about where we're at for Q1 and the entire team, including my designer is talking about how else we can help the sales team ensure that everyone hits their number, right? It becomes a team effort. And I think that's what I've seen this whole philosophy around you know, one, bringing the, all the organizations together, everyone is focused on the customer, number one, regardless of, you know, if you're marketing, sales, success, or support, but then two, we're all focused on the exact same big items. How we might individually contribute to accomplishing them is different based on our role, but we're all still trying to drive the exact same thing. And there's no, you know, no issue or lack of clarity around what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, that's great. I really love the rock framework there as well. And I would love to dig a little deeper. So if we go on to a practical level, how do marketing and sales actually work together at Lumivate? Yeah, so really, really closely. So in a variety of different ways, I'll talk a little bit about our sales-led strategy and how that how that's worked together in the past. So, you know, as a sales-led organization, which we had been for, you know, in the first four and a half years of our company's life, we did a lot of what most organizations do, right? Which is marketing would run campaigns at target accounts. So we often worked on in conjunction with the sales organization as identifying those accounts. And our goal was to get meetings, right? To book demos, get, you know, create true pipeline. And one of the things that I am really proud about is in that realm, you know, we were creating a large portion, you know, 75% plus of the pipeline for the sales organization. And I think that shows you how effective you can be when you partner together. And, you know, that included things such as, you know, innovative campaigns that we done with video, direct mail, et cetera. But it also included, you know, partnering with them on the sales side of, you know, what are ways that we can continue to impress the customer during that process. So for instance, like what are some, our platform enables marketers to build mobile apps. So what are some concepts for their apps that we can maybe pull together for them as part of the sales process, right? That's something our marketing team did. What are some ideas that we could throw out of how they could think about using our platform? So how do we provide a little bit of marketing consulting, right? Um, to help sales close those deals. So that's one, one way. And then I think the other big way has been, you know, now we have really started to venture into product-led growth, which is very different. Um, and marketing and sales work very differently together now, right? So marketing is really responsible. Instead of booking meetings, we don't think about that anymore, right? We don't book meetings anymore. All we focus on is creating free accounts. So really getting people into our freemium offering. 
And now we're focused on, you know, one, building those people in there and then figuring out with data on who's best using our platform that we can then through automation convert in product or, you know, as a second path um, through behaviors, send over to our sales team to convert more through a traditional sales process. And so we're working, you know, on a daily basis. And a great example is last night, right? There was a, one of our customers that's on a free account was asking some questions on chat on our website, right? That marketing oversees. And so they were talking and working with our sale with the salesperson on it and getting that all scheduled and booked to make sure that everything, you know, was going to work out for them to have that next conversation about additional functionalities they wanted. I think that's one, one example of how they work together in today's world. Yeah. That's really, really cool to hear. So in terms of marketing, what is working for you right now and where are you investing your time and budget? Um, so SEO, I know that is not the like most exciting marketing topic for a lot of us. Um, it's not for me either when I think about it, right? No one gets excited about SEO or I guess, you know what? A lot of people do, um, but it can be hard to get excited about SEO because it's a, long, a long-term game, right? And the reason why I say that is with SEO, you know, people don't realize, you know, investing in SEO doesn't give you results tomorrow. It gives you results a couple months from now, but it gives you long-term results. And as marketers and even executives, right, we're inclined for like instant gratification. We want to do something. We want to like see the leads come in tomorrow, right? Um, So a lot of times people don't think about SEO that way. But I think it's one of the most underutilized marketing strategies for growth. And the reason why I say that is a couple couple things. There is nothing that's more... You know, we talk about intent data and all these other things, but there's nothing more, you know, true in the funnel than someone who's searching for a product like yours, right? So like for us, when someone's searching for a no-code app platform, they are looking for a no-code app platform. Them downloading my piece of content doesn't mean that they're looking at this, looking for it, right? Them following me on social doesn't mean that. But when they start searching for it, there's a reason, not just because of their interest usually. And, you know, investing in SEO gives you the opportunity to, you know, really, if you do it well and right, to show up on page one on Google, even as a smaller brand, which can give you a lot of credibility that you can't necessarily, you can't buy that, right? And so to me, like that is a big focus for us is around you know, being smart about our SEO strategy and continuing to invest heavily in that. Yeah, that's great to hear. And I'm a big fan of SEO. So we we could geek out on that now, but let's, let's not do that. Uh, Let's, let's move forward. But one thing I want to ask is that I know you also host a podcast called Real Marketers. So why did you decide to start and add a podcast to your marketing? Oh, great question. So we've been hosting a podcast since fall of 2018 which I can't believe it's been almost gosh, two and a half years. Um, but when we first started and the whole idea came up, I had never thought about hosting a podcast for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, back in 2018, most of the podcasts that I had heard about, I was not an avid listener back then, um, were more of like the true crime podcast. So I wasn't even familiar with B2B brands doing it. 
And I thought it would be way too hard <laughs> to get started. And so one of the things that really caused us to start thinking about it was I had ran in, was introduced to someone and we um, met and we're just chatting about like, kind of like, oh, what do you do? Blah, blah, blah. And she actually happens to run a company that helps B2B brands launch podcasts. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Tell me more. And we didn't meet for the sole reason of like her trying to sell me. We had a mutual friend that wouldn't, that thought we would like enjoy meeting each other as women leaders in the community. And I started, just started talking about, you know, like what it's like, what brands see. And I, it kind of like was this light bulb moment where I went, why aren't we doing this? Like, this makes so much sense. But I think for a lot of reasons, like I said before, right? Like, why would I do it? It sounds really hard. How do you get guests on the show? Like, I have no idea how to do, like, do any of this. Um, it can be a little overwhelming to get started back then. And so really that is kind of how we got started thinking about getting started. And then once we said, yes, we're going to do a podcast, it really became about like, well, why, why are we going to do a podcast? Now we know that we can, and we know how we could do it logistically. Why? And you know, that's when I dived a lot into the podcast that existed back then. And what I found was a lot of shows were either super like high level where they, you know, people talked about things. It was more like, you know, the presentations you might see on like a keynote stage at a marketing conference that are really great and inspirational, but they don't give you a lot of tactical information. Um, or it was a lot of the same people talking about the same things. And I wanted to do something different. I really wanted to find a way to one, you know, connect marketers with other really small, smart marketing and tech leaders and tell their stories. And I also wanted, you know, selfishly to tie Lumivate's brand name to some bigger companies, right? You know, we're a company that is in scale-up mode, which means that, you know, we're not ginormous. And being able to have the Lumivate name next to bigger brands has a lot of benefit to us from a PR perspective. And so that was really like kind of like the why around, you know, getting, getting it started. And it was a tremendous amount of work to get started. But I think now, you know, looking back, it was such a smart decision, you know, for a couple of reasons. One, we have so much content that we create, right? I record just like, just like you're doing, right? You record an episode and you can take that episode and create 60 pieces of content from it if you just spend the time doing it and you have a content creation machine, you know, at your fingertips, you know, second, you're able to, you know, get brand exposure one, you know, from your show itself, but then two from every guest that's on your show likely will promote it. So they're sharing the name of your show and your podcast with others. And then three, it really does, if you, depending on what your purpose is and who you have on, starts to position you as a thought leader, right? And in the same echelon as the guests that you have on the show, which if you're looking to up-level your brand and tie it to bigger brands or tie it to bigger names, it's a really easy way to do that. And I think the thing that surprises most people is, you know, you never will get someone on your show if you don't ask. 
I was able to get the CMO at MGM Resorts on the show. I don't know. I didn't know her. I didn't know the VP of digital at Crayola. I just asked. And they said, yes. Right. Um, And I think that is, that's one of the cool things about podcasting is there's a lot of ability to have conversations and help your audience learn. But then also I've learned so much from my guests um, as well. Yeah, that's awesome. And I totally know how you felt when starting out, uh, jumping into the world of podcasting without having any idea that uh, it can be scary, but for sure it's, it's uh, yeah, definitely worth it in the long run. And if we just take one step back from marketing and add customer support success and product into the picture. So how do all these departments and teams work together then at Lumivate? Yeah, so we all work together pretty tightly. Um, so I'll give you an example, you know, when a new customer comes on board, right? So sales closes a new customer with more of our traditional sales led process, right? They're going to have an, an IKT, right? An internal knowledge transfer where they're going to meet with the person from customer success. And sometimes services are involved, sometimes they're not and really onboard them to that new customer. And that's going to include things such as, you know, what exactly did they purchase? Um, are there services involved? What do those include? What are the timelines we've committed to? What are the, you know, the people involved on the customer side? What are their personalities? What are things we know about them? Because I think one of the things that's missed oftentimes when you have such disparate organizations is this really consistent customer experience, right? And I saw that before I took over all of these groups is, you know, in marketing, we might have this highly personalized experience where it feels like we're marketing just to you. And then you go to sales and if you don't have that same experience or it feels like it's, you know, slightly different, it almost feels like you're talking to a different company, right? And then you get passed over success. And if it's, if you have to explain the same things again, or if they don't know the things about you that your sales rep did, right? It it just feels different. And so really what we want it to be is, you know, from the first time you talk to someone at Lumivate, whatever you, they know about you, like everyone that works with you should know about you and your company. And part of that reason is it really gives us this really continual thread of, you know, no matter who you work with, you're getting the same level of expertise and the same level of care. And we know the same amount about your business. And it really makes us a, more of a value partner. So that's how we think about it, right? So like, you know, after uh, an IKT, we have like a kickoff meeting as an example of services are involved. And you're going to have someone from sales on that. You're going to have someone from customer success and support and support and services if they're involved. Um, And they're all going to work together. And there's, you know, different things on our, you know, project team for around who's doing what, right? There's different roles that those people play because we're all here to make sure that they're successful. And then even after a customer is up and running on our platform, you know, customer success and sales are going to work together on analytics. How do we make sure that the customer is using the platform the way that it was intended? How do we ensure that the app they've built on it is generating the results that they want? You know, because really customer success and sales are tied together with renewals. While sales owns the renewal number, you know, customer success has a goal around net revenue retention percentage. And so they need to work with our sales team hand in hand to say, hey, I've noticed this behavior. It looks like there's an opportunity for upsell or, hey, they've not logged in in this many days. We might need to reach out to them. Do you want to do that or do you want me to, right? And it really is this kind of joint, joint effort. Um, so that's how we, that's how we think a lot about 
all the teams working together, it's, you know, while they're separate, they're also not, right? It really is a more fluid organization of, you know, passing, passing the ball to each other versus like throwing it over the fence. Yeah, that's so great. And I love that you can ensure a consistent customer experience, which is so important in SaaS. But uh, of course, this is a lot to cover. So I'd love to know, what does your typical week look like? Oh, gosh, it's a lot of meetings. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. And it's funny because I can tell you so many times I'm like, I need less meetings. How, what can I get off my schedule? And I do that whole, you know, effort where you look at your calendar and you're like, what can I cancel or not go to? And there's so little that I can really take off my schedule. And it's, it's hard. Um, so I think, you know, for me, what I try and do that works really well, because I am over a lot of different areas, um, which means, you know, I have a lot of, I have a lot of one-on-ones. It also means that there are a lot of different people that have questions for me or need my opinion on something. Um, so what I like to do is really try and structure my week as much as possible. So I do almost all of my one-on-ones on two days. Um, I don't do them all in one day. I used to do that is way too much. So I like to break them up into two days. I also do like my team meeting on Mondays. Um, so everyone that were direct reports to me, we have a team meeting and I think find that super, super important for everyone to be up to date. I also, and my team will tell you this, I'm a night owl. So because I'm in meetings a lot after my kids go to bed, I'm often on my computer. And I always tell people like, do as I say, not as I do. I'm going to send you emails at night. I am going to slack you things at night. Please do not respond. <laughs> um, but that just because that's because when I, because that's when I can work does not mean that's when I expect you to work. Right. Um, but I, a lot of times I do, I do that and have, you know, really try and flesh out things then, but it's, it is a lot of, a lot of meetings and a lot of conversations. Now, one of the things that has worked well for me is I've started blocking off Friday afternoons and I call them my get shit done time. Um, because if I don't, I find that I'll be in meetings like 36 hours out of a week and it's hard to get done the stuff that I need to get done besides just like responding to stuff and emails, et cetera. So by blocking out Friday afternoons, usually after like 1 PM, what it's allowed me to start to do, and I've only been doing this since the beginning of the year, but better prepare for like the following week. I feel like the things I needed to get done that week, it gives me time to make sure that I get them done. And so I go into the weekend feeling like I'm more prepared for Monday versus feeling like I'm already behind from the previous week. Um, and then I start Monday off behind. So that's been one thing that's been really, really helpful. And then the other thing I do a lot is talk to our customers, right? Before this, I was just talking to one of our newest customers and I want them as much as possible to know who I am. You know, I oversee everyone that, that works with customers. So I want them, whether that's through a video that we send via email, whether that's through me hopping on a call, I want them to know who I am. I want them to know that I'm a contact. So if they have any concerns or any, you know, praise they want to say about the team that they know that they can share it with me and that I'm here to help as much as I can. Yeah, that's really cool. And I think a great idea in terms of booking a Friday afternoon and getting yourself set up for the following week. So I'd love to ask though, how many direct reports do you have? And how would you say your time is split between those different departments or teams? Um, it, it varies a great amount. So right now um, I have six. Um, I've had as many as nine 
Nine is a lot <laughs> of direct reports. Um, I would tell you my, my time varies every week. So like right now, because we are towards end of quarter, you know, I likely will be spending more time with our sales team over the next week. Um, if I were, were to say percentage wise, whereas last week I spent a lot of time with our marketing team. Um, and then today I've been on calls primarily with our customer success and services team most of the day. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's good to know. And I think nine is definitely at the upper limits of uh, direct reports. But um, one final thing I'd like to ask before we jump over to our final questions is that in your LinkedIn profile, uh, one thing you've written is that I'm a recovering perfectionist who believes you should ship new initiatives as fast as possible and constantly iterate on them based on the data. Speed is greater than perfection, which I absolutely love. And I think speed is vital in any modern SaaS team. So how do you move fast and actually build speed into all the things you do at Lumavate? Well, I think first it's being really honest with that's who you are as a person. So I, you know, when any, whenever someone tries to recruit me, I always tell them if, you know, I'm the person that's going to come in and like sit on her hands for like a week, maybe two, and then she's going to want to blow stuff up. If you need someone that's going to come in and like, listen to you talk for 30 to 90 days and then formulate a plan. I am not your girl um, because that's just not how I move. I, I know one speed it's running. It's how I am with everything in life. And so I think one being really honest with who you are and finding a company that appreciates that because you can't move fast in companies that don't allow it. I think the second thing is being really just honest with your team around what fast looks like to you. And when I say fast, sometimes people think like, oh, that means working a lot. Well, sometimes it might, but it, it, it doesn't necessarily. It just means uh, a, a pace of what we're going to do, or we're not going to sit and have 12 conversations about a decision. We're going to make a decision and see what happens, right? Because one of the things that people, I think, sometimes forget is in this digital age, I don't necessarily need to have a perfect decision out there. It's not like print, right? Like when I started my career back in the, back in the day, um, when you did a campaign and it was in print, it had to be perfect because once it was printed, you couldn't take it back. Whereas right now, if we make a mistake on the website copy, guess what I can do in two minutes? Change the website copy. I can take down the Google ad, right? Like there's a lot I can do. Um, so I always, one, I think just, people realizing that and realizing that it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to fail. Not everything will go well is, is, you know, the other part. And then what I tell the team on is we're going to run fast. And sometimes that means, you know, we're all going to, we did this a couple weeks ago where, you know, on our team meeting on Monday, I said, okay, this is what we want to accomplish. We're going to stop everything else we're doing this week. And we're all going to work on this. And we put together in a Google doc, all the things that needed to get done. And then literally for like 48 hours, everyone would just worked on the stuff in there and was commenting on each other and like telling everyone else when things were pushed out. And it really creates this excitement and momentum because I think people that work in tech like to move fast. Now, some people don't, right? And um, at larger organizations, that might be harder. But if you hire people and you tell them, we move fast. We're going to have you, you know, I want you to test out those ads. I want you to ship them, get them live, and we'll put a little bit of budget behind them and see what happens, right? We're not going to put $10,000 worth of budget behind it tomorrow, but let's put 500. Let's see what happens. Let's put a thousand. Let's see what happens. And then, you know, learn from it and make iterations. 
you know, one, I think that gives people the opportunity to be a lot more creative and it encourages them to move fast, right? Because they know that you're not going to hold them to whatever it is as being like the final ultimate perfect thing. Um, so I, you know, I really am focused on moving fast as a person and surrounding myself with other people who believe that. Yeah, absolutely. That was awesome. And blow shit up. I think if you write three yes. words down from this in your episode notes, then then those are the three. Blow shit up. I love it. Um, awesome. Well, this was super good. And we can now move to our closing questions and our fast five challenge. So I will ask five questions and all you need to do is answer as quickly as possible. So Stephanie, are you ready? Yes. Cool. And this is very appropriate since we're just speaking about speed and being fast. So Number one, what is the one book you would recommend others to read? The Four Agreements. Great. Second question, SaaS company you love and why? Well, I'm super biased. I love Lemonade, um, <laughs> but I'll tell you why I love it, even though I, even though I work here. I love it because it empowers marketers to build apps by themselves without code, without development. And if you've ever been in a mobile space before, that sounds absolutely crazy. And we're empowering marketers to do it all by themselves. And I think it's just, it's a fundamental shift that's happening in the, in the world and needs to happen. Marketers need to be able to do more. Awesome. So anyone listening who wants to go and build their own app, but haven't been able to do so, well, go check out Lumivate after listening to this episode. Uh, first question, third or third question, I just say, favorite place to read about marketing online? Twitter. Yes. Full of good stuff. Fourth question, most important growth metric. And first, for a software company, monthly active users. Great. And then fifth and final question, best piece of advice for fellow marketers? Don't stay in your lane. Nice. Well, Stephanie, I have to say this was absolutely awesome. And I just want to thank you again so much for coming on the Growth Hub podcast. My pleasure. It's been a great time with you. That was Stephanie Cox on why marketing should lead sales, support, success, and product. So thank you so much for listening. And if you're enjoying the show, we'd love for you to leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And as ever, you're always welcome to reach out to me on Twitter at Nordic Edward or connect on LinkedIn. So thank you for listening to the Growth of Podcast brought to you by growth marketing agency Advanced B2B. This is your host, Edward Ford, signing off and make sure you check out advancedb2b.com for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers